Welcome to Logical, the UAE's first and really the only regular legal podcast. My name's Tim Elliott. Logical comes to you from the Dubai-based legal firm HPL Yamalaba and Pleska. Here in JLT, Jamira Lakes Towers, and as always, I'm with the managing partner, Ludmilla Yamalaba, and it's good to see you again. Good to be back with you here, Tim. This time, it's the new family law for non-Muslims in the UAE. Now, this is a couple of weeks since coming into effect. I know we've got executive regulations to follow, and we'll come to that in this, Ludmilla, but it's in line with federal decree law number 41, 2022. It regards civil personal status. February the 1st, this actually came into effect. Essentially, it's a new civil personal status matters law. Uh, And I want to start there. How is that different, Ludmilla, from the UAE personal status law as it has stood? Uh, Great um, startup question. So um, the UAE personal status law, ultimately, while it is a codified law, it, it is based on principles of Sharia. So it's not the fact that the UAE is uh, governed by Sharia law, which is often uh, referred or discussed. It's rather that we do have a civil, we have a, civ- a civil law system in the UAE in terms of the, the legal jurisprudence, but the specific laws, in particular the personal status law, is based on the principles derived from Sharia. Uh, which ultimately means that uh, in terms of personal status matters such as marriages, divorces, custody, inheritance, it's the principles of Sharia that apply to all those aspects of uh, personal life. Uh, so, for example, in the case of a divorce, um, um, there is a no-fault divorce and there's a fault divorce. In case of custody, so the default is that this, this concept of guardianship and custody, uh, two separate concepts which do not exist in other, the, perhaps the non-Sharia uh, legal um, uh, legal framework. Uh, so, it, you know, in, for example, in the West, there's only custody or there's only guardianship. There isn't, these, these two separate concepts don't exist. Under the UE personal status law, they exist as two separate. So the guardianship stays with the father, the custody, the physical possession of the child goes with the mother, for example. And similar with inheritance, Anything to do related to inheritance, uh, whether the the person, the deceased or testator is Muslim or non-Muslim, it does not matter in the eyes of the court. Uh, the um, the probate or the inheritance proceedings are governed under the same principles uh, under the UAE personal status law, which are governed on Sharia, which basically, uh, among other things, and these are specific high-level examples, uh, focus on the children versus, for example, the spouse. So let's say it's the, the husband that passes away, and the spouse gets to inherit a very small fraction of what of the estate, uh, uh, versus, for example, what she or he, in that case, in, in other jurisdictions, would have uh, would have inherited from uh, wife or husband. Uh, so, um, uh, so in that, that's another example. So that's so. Just to clarify, the UAE personal, the current UAE personal status law is not Sharia law, but it is based on principles of Sharia, and therefore. In its application, the courts, it's, it's predominantly governed by all those Sharia principles, which ultimately mean religious principles. And that's why in many cases, 
for non-Muslims, it's been a bit of a, a challenge, at least sort of philosophical, psychological challenge when you're not Muslim to, uh, for example, deal with questions of custody or divorce um, or inheritance uh, principles that are to non-Muslims are fairly alien because they're so deeply rooted in religious um, principles and application. Uh, so um, that's perhaps at the high level, that's the um, the big, um, I guess that's how you, you summarize the UE personal status law. So essentially, this new law will regulate marriages, divorces, custody, we believe possibly fostering an adoption of children, inheritance for non-Muslims. And now that means non-Muslim couples can get married through the local courts. They can arrange a prenuptial uh, agreement. They can set marriage, divorce, or custody setups as well. This is kind. Of, this is all encompassing for non-Muslims. Yes. Yeah, so the big. So perhaps the biggest. Um, the biggest uh, introduction or overarching um, objective of this new law is that now non-Muslims will be governed by a different law. So if you take a step back, we'll uh, from now on, from the time that this law came into effect, we'll have two different types of personal status law. One is the UAE personal status law that applies to all Muslims. And then the other one is the, uh, the again, the UAE law that applies for non-Muslims. So it's a personal status law for non-Muslims. Uh, and it's in fact it's it's even called that personal status law for non-Muslims. Uh, so uh, with regards to Muslims, and this is important to highlight, is that it's the the UAE personal status law, the current personal status law, applies to all Muslims, irrespective of their nationality and citizenship. So, for example, you have a a couple from Australia; they are Muslims, or at least they are, but they they might have gotten married in the in the in the court. But for the purposes of the UAE, they are treated as Muslims. So it's not based on nationality or citizenship, uh, but rather on, on your religious background. Uh, and with regards to non-Muslims, <clears throat> uh, until recently, we would have just said it's for all expats or for all foreigners. But... Um, in the last several years, we've all, I mean, I guess we have covered on this podcast quite, quite uh, extensively. The UAE immigration laws and the citizenship laws have changed dramatically. And among other things, there have been a number of non-Muslim Emiratis as well. For example, Chinese, um, Indian, Russian, and so on and so forth. So now we no longer can say that this this non person uh, this uh, non Muslim person status law will apply for foreigners only. No, in fact, it clearly even states that it applies to even citizens who are non Muslim. And now there's that that percentage is growing. Uh, so so at a high level from now on, anything to do with family or personal status will be segregated into the law that applies to Muslims and law that applies to non-Muslims. So this is, uh, as I say this, I was going to say this is the first of its kind, but it actually isn't. So what's important to highlight is this particular law is the federal law. And the federal law was uh, published in, in the official gazette in uh, November of 2022, um, so just a few months ago. However, as per that um, Publication, it came, the law comes into effect, effect in February 1 of 2023. So, which is rightful said just a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. So this, what we're talking about is the federal law. However, so a federal law meaning that it applies to all emirates equally, and that's uh, 
for those who are, I guess I would imagine for most of our listeners, but perhaps for those who are not familiar, uh, this there are seven emirates. So this federal law means that it applies to all several, several, uh, seven emirates. That being said, there is currently, and there has been in the book, another law from a specific emirate being Abu Dhabi. So Abu Dhabi has had on its books a personal status law for non-Muslims. And we covered that particular law on this podcast along with its different variations and amendments, uh, all of which kind of happened very quickly. But ultimately, I would say in this particular case, Abu Dhabi had led the way in terms of a personal status law for non-Muslims. So while I talk about, I'd like to talk about this unprecedented in a way federal law, it's actually not not exactly accurate because there is this Abu Dhabi law that, ha- I think that if my memory serves me right, was introduced in 2021, at the end of 2021, and we covered it in the beginning of 2022, and the very purpose of that law was uh, for um, uh, for non-Muslim uh, residents. Uh, well, it first started out as for for non-Muslim residents, or only for uh, for visitors or for expats. But then it kind of very quickly evolved into being a lot more encompassing, and to the point of where it even welcomed marriages of non-residents. Uh, okay, so so that's so. But that being said, at the federal level, this is the first time we're seeing personal status law for non-Muslims at a federal level. Now, taking a, perhaps a slightly um, taking a step back and looking at even higher, what's the personal status law? Why is it important? And that's because in most cases, personal status law governs anything to do with our kind of personal matters. And that's starting from marriages, divorce, custody, and inheritance. Uh, so, um, therefore, anything related to any one of those aspects of our lives will now be governed for non-Muslims by this personal status law, which came into effect just in February. Uh, so, interestingly enough, is that from what we can tell, it's still very new. And uh, and as you rightfully said, Tim, in this this law is the substantive law, and many aspects of this law also refer to executive regulations that will further clarify various aspects of the law. These executive regulations have not been issued yet, so I am certain, as uh, has become customary by now, we will do follow-up podcasts once the regulations are issued. Uh, but this is very typical of, uh, in particular, UAE jurisprudence or development or evolution of the UAE jurisprudence. So you have the substantive law that sort of sets out the main framework of a particular um, of a particular area or legal issue, and then it uh, clarifies and qualifies and further details uh, very specific aspects of the, so the substantive of the main law. Uh, so as we go through the discussion of this. Um, this current law, it's important to keep in mind that some of the specific points that we will mention will be further detailed in future regulations, and therefore there is not much more uh, detail that we can uh, we can share in today's podcast. Uh, but um, at a high level, what's um, interesting about this law is that it clearly, perhaps like if, if you will, a preamble uh, to this law is that... Um, uh, is that, first of all, it will um, apply by default to all non-Muslims. So therefore now when, let's say, um, a non-Muslim couple wants to apply for a divorce, uh, the default will not be the UE personal status law as was the case before, but rather it will be this personal status law for non-Muslims that will apply by default. So we will not have to argue 
oh, that uh, all the person said this law does not apply because I'm non-Muslim, uh, nor can you really sort of perhaps in a way abuse the system by trying to avail yourself of the of the uh, UAE personal status law or Sharia law because you think it benefits you better in terms of a divorce, which, by the way, is, is a strategic advantage that has been used by a lot of, in particular, uh, husbands, uh, because under the Sharia principles, as a husband's obligations to pay for financial uh, support is a lot more limited than it would be uh, under the non-Muslim or non, under non-Sharia uh, principles. Uh, and similarly, with, cu- with custody and guardianship, the, the father gets more rights over the children um, than the mother, for example. So we have seen in our practice uh, this particular law being kind of used to the advantage of non-Muslims. It's it's one thing for Muslims to have these principles be applied because that's their faith, it's religion, and this is kind of what's code, uh, it's what's rooted in this religion. But for non-Muslims, it just it, it it's a rather alien, and yet we've seen a lot of non-Muslims. Uh, wanting to uh, to uh, benefit from this, so to speak, benefit from this application of this law, um, to uh, by by point of negotiation, really, it's just as almost uh, by uh, to, to apply leverage uh, or kind of strong arm tactic uh, to um, against the, in most cases wives uh, to uh, to give up uh, certain claims. So uh, now, from what it appears, that this this particular law will um, be applied to all non-Muslims by default. And if non-Muslims want a different law applied, then they have to establish the reason for, uh, for the reason or the application of a different law. And in most cases, if I were to guess, if let's say you have a non-Muslim couple that um, are now being divorced under this law, and and the husband asks for the application of the UAE personal status law. Uh, then in in relevant terms, he would have to prove to the court that that law should apply to him because he is, for example, yeah, let's say Muslim. But if he's not Muslim, then he can't really make a colorable argument to the court. So that'd be my prediction that that basically that uh, potential abuse or, or uh, of, of process will no longer be available in those kinds of cases. So under the new law, and it's it specifically uh, claimed that men and women are equal in all rights and obligations. That's set out very specifically in the law. And it covers testimony, inheritance, right to request divorce, and also custody. What I find interesting is, although the new law sets out equal rights of women and men, only women are entitled to spousal support as well. Uh, yes, uh, so, but this is perhaps is still subject to the executive regu- regulations. Okay. And um, that I'm sure we will tackle in the future. But for the time being, as you rightfully said, uh, perhaps some, one of the most important and kind of overarching preambles of this new law is that uh, this equality, the principle of equality between men and women. And that the new law clearly expressly states that men and women are equal in all rights and obligations. And specifically, this covers testimony, inheritance, right to request divorce, uh, and custody. And just to uh, perhaps juxtapose the importance of this for non-Muslims is, uh, for example, the equality in testimony. Because um, in under the UAE personal status law and under Sharia law, for example, the, the, in terms of testimony, uh, the man's testimony counts perhaps uh, 
double the value of women's testimony. So you need to have two women testify to be equal to one a man's testimony. So, for example, again, this is rooted from some religious principles, but uh, it has been applied historically to everyone, all residents in the UAE. And you can see it, it makes sense from a religious standpoint for those who are of that faith, but for those who are not, it, it's a very alien concept. Uh, so, well, this law now, in addition to everything else, in, in addition to marriage, divorce, and custody and inheritance, also uh, mentions, for example, the equality in terms of testimony. Uh, and uh, and then also in terms of the right to divorce, which is important. And we can kind of go through category by category in terms of the, uh, the, the various aspects of life in terms of how this law applies. But as you rightfully said, the, the big... Perhaps the most important aspect of this law is this uh, express statement, the preamble, and the, uh, in, and therefore filter for the rest of the law in terms of the equality between men and women in all types. And kind of at a high level, and we can go through this a little further in more detail, at a high level this means uh, with regards to the divorce, both men and women can ask have their equal right to divorce. Uh, and it's not the case that it's easier for a man to divorce than it is for a woman, as is the case under the personal status law, for example, or, for example, in custody, that um, uh, the, uh, the men get bigger or stronger rights over their children than women. Uh, then the law is very specific that in custody, both parents have equal rights to their children in all aspects. Uh, and similarly, with regards to inheritance, so let's say, under Sharia, when the testator passes, if um, he or she has uh, daughters and sons, sons would get um, two-thirds of what the daughters would get, again, a very high level. So here, for the purpose of inheritance, under this law, as long as you're non-Muslim, all the shares uh, and uh, the estate is distributed equally amongst all heirs, irrespective of the gender. So that's, uh, that is the most important aspect of um, this particular law, which I think is going to be not perhaps surprising to a lot of the residents here because uh, because there already have been other laws uh, in the UAE that have um, at least allowed parties, non-Muslims, to argue application of a different law. It was just more that it was more difficult to, in practical terms, to to argue and, and, and educate a local judge about a non-UE law. So how do you educate, for example, a, a local judge about a French law or an Austrian law or an Australian law? It's just a lot more difficult. So, uh, so it's, not, it's not surprising, and perhaps this was kind of a long time coming, but um, it's definitely an extremely welcome change and development for all those residents and citizens of the UAE who are non-Muslims. Now, with regards to the different aspects of the personal status law and, and the, um, the most important elements of this new law, uh, is um, it, we can start with marriages. Uh, but um, but before I dive into it, just to as of as of now, this we're recording this podcast on February fourteenth, Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's! Happy Valentine's. Uh, and um, and so as of as of and it's the law has now only been in effect for fourteen months. Oh, for fourteen days. I apologize, fourteen days. Mm -hmm. uh, that uh, there's already one case we have been able to find in Dubai courts that has been registered under the new personal status uh, law for non-Muslims. Uh, so um, one, one uh, side note I also want to make here is that 
and this is a different podcast, so we've talked about it uh, in, in, in several of our podcasts, but it is a dedicated podcast to this as well in terms of the UAE judicial system and how it works. So, and this is important in the context of this is because we mentioned Abu Dhabi law and Abu Dhabi courts, and then we talk about Dubai uh, courts. And so while we have this federal, uh, federal system, federal laws, certain emirates in terms of the, uh, in terms of their court system have opted uh, out of the federal court system and they have their own court system. So for example, Dubai has its own court system. Abu Dhabi has its own court system and Ras Al-Khaimah have uh, their own court system. And then you have the federal court system, which are the remaining four emirates, which is Ras Al-Ajman, Sharjah, Amal Kuwain and, um, and Fujairah. Uh, so with regards to um, Abu Dhabi, Abu Dhabi courts have already, we've already seen it because they've actually had a specific law for non-Muslims for personal status matters since 2021. So on their system, this particular service for non-Muslims uh, already exists and has been in existence for quite some time. We also check the Dubai court system. It also, uh, there's an option there for non-Muslim personal status services. So therefore, as a non-Muslim, uh, the Dubai portal has already been adjusted and it allows you as a non-Muslim to file specific service uh, as a, as a non-Muslim. Uh, similarly, Rasa Khema has already updated its, um, um, you know, its, its court system and has introduced certain aspects of the new law and in particular civil marriages. With regards to the other emirates, which kind of sit under the, the federal um, system and therefore governed from the, from the court's perspective, governed, governed by the Ministry of Justice, uh, they have not yet updated their online system. So, for example, when you're listening to this podcast, uh, if you are coming from Fujairah or um, Ajman or Sharjah, don't be surprised if this particular service is not available to you yet. And that's because the law is still very new and it's being implemented. Uh, and um, since I guess you have four emirates there versus one emirate and the same court system, maybe it'll take a little longer for um, for the Ministry of Justice to uh, to upload and update um, this the new service. But as far as uh, Dubai, Abu Dhabi and Asahema, uh, there, these services for non-Muslims are already in place, so therefore you can start availing yourself now. Uh, now let's go to uh, the different aspects. We'll start, what does it mean, this UAE personal status law, in practical terms? So in practical terms, let's talk about marriages. So, and it's interesting because there are some, and this remains to be seen, and perhaps there'll be a little bit of um, correction if I dare to say so. <laughs> so, because one of the provisions in this, uh, this, in this personal status law states that uh, civil you know, marriage, basically, it's, it's a marriage of equals. And the civil marriage, for the civil marriage to be legally conducted in the UAE, the man and women must be at least 21 years of age. Yeah. Now, that particular aspect of the law seems a little contradictory to the rest of the law. It, well, it does. I, I was under the impression it was 18. Uh, exactly, exactly. So under other UAE personal status law and other laws, is, yes, the marriage is a uh, the, the the marriage age or the legal age for marriage is eighteen. Okay. So here it says twenty one. So it's interesting to see. We, and then maybe it'll be adjusted. Maybe it's done intentionally so that for non Muslims. Um, they um, they have to wait until they turn the age of 21 in order for them to legally get married. Uh, so that's at least how the law is stated today. Uh, then uh, and then the marriage has to be consensual and it can be, it can be registered uh, before the notary judge. 
uh, and accompanied by a single declaration or affidavit from a couple. Now, they may seem like no big deal, very easy, simple, sort of self-explanatory, but and it may be so, except that it wasn't like that before. So just to give some context, prior to this law coming into effect, we're talking about marriages right now. Uh, for non-Muslims to get married in the UAE, there were limited options. So um, certain nationalities, their own uh, governments, their own amb- embassies or consulates could marry them in the UAE, but there are not. There's not all countries allow for it. Uh, but otherwise, as a as a as a, at a high level, as non-Muslims, you could not get married uh, before local courts. So it had to be done either through your personal uh, through your government and their consulate embassy or through some kind of religious institution, be it a church or a, um, or a, a, a temple, for example, um, so um, or synagogue. Uh, so you could not just get married uh, before the courts as, as you would uh, as a Muslim. So therefore, for, for a lot of people, it presented there was a problem with that because not all of their, not all governments would offer the service of marrying their nationals outside of the outside of their country uh, so for example americans in the u.s government does not offer that service and many other european countries do not offer this service uh, romania for example does just just by example uh, and then so that was one option the other option was through doing it through a church or like synagogue and then even that was uh, if there's a process for them ultimately to have to attest that marriage uh, and that would, would have to be by its at its roots it would have to be a religious marriage because if you're obviously getting married through a synagogue through a church or uh, some of the Indian temples, so that that marriage at its core and its root is religious. But so to have a civil marriage, you had basically had to fly out outside the UAE and get married there. But because you could not get married uh, before a judge in the court here. Now, as per this new law, this option is not expressly uh, available for non-Muslims. So there will be a judge, and it's called kind of the notary judge or attestation judge, before whom the uh, the parties could appear and get married. Furthermore, in the past, you couldn't, uh, if you know, you basically needed witnesses to get married for. Again, this is, applies mainly to uh, Muslims, but there was no other way to kind of get married for, uh, to, to do a civil marriage. Now, uh, as per this law, if it's a non-Muslim couple, they just go appear before the judge with a single declaration. They, the judge has the authority to marry them. There's no need, for example, for a guardian or for any kind of uh, witnesses uh, to be present. Uh, so um, that's uh, that's. I think that's quite an important step forward for all the non-Muslims living here. And um, in terms of the procedure, it's a fairly, it seems to be, and this is, again, this is as far as the law is concerned, the practice of it will have to uh, to uh, follow and update in a subsequent podcast. But for the time being, uh, the filing is done with through a notary judge as per the regulations themselves. And based on submitting a form uh, that specifically states it's a form to, to get married, uh, and by the way, in Abu Dhabi, there are specific forms, and these specific forms have existed for quite some time. And there's a specific for- form, for example, civil marriage application, a specific form for divorce application. And I would expect, uh, since Abu Dhabi has a specific forms because they've had this service for much longer, as I mentioned earlier, that uh, it's uh, perhaps just a matter of time before Dubai will, and other, and the Ras al-Khaimah, for example, and the Emirates will also adopt similar forms. There will be like a specific form for marriage. But for the time being, you could just basically requested through the courts um, and uh, just indicate the service that you are uh, looking to avail yourself.
Uh, interestingly enough, the law also provides that when you're filing a request for marriage uh, before the before the local courts for non-Muslims, the spouses must submit the wills forms outlining the distribution of their estate in the case one of them dies. So how this is going to be implemented remains to be seen, but ultimately what... Uh, this appears to to mean is that whenever you get married, uh, then uh, along at around the same time, since you're going to be before a judge, you right away submit to do some philosophy a form uh, that is ultimately your will in the event uh, somebody dies. How uh, how the the state uh, will be distributed? Uh, we'll see how it's ultimately put into place in your own practice. Uh, but for the time being, that's basically what the law states, uh, which will be interesting to uh, to see um, uh, in the future. Well, it would it would lead you to believe, wouldn't it, that at some point in the not too distant future, wills for non-Muslim couples are, are there, uh, and it would just be recognised as a matter of course. Uh, absolutely, and I in think uh, for sure, and. Um, I think it's already in many ways uh, the case, especially with um, as, as far as Abu Dhabi is concerned. And Abu Dhabi has not only sort of introduced this law, but over the last year and a half, it expanded the scope of the law, uh, inviting and opening up its basically borders and extend to not just the Abu Dhabi residents, in particular for marriages, for example. So, yeah, I think as time goes on and this new federal law is implemented and integrated, uh, further, that it'll just be a matter, of course, where it's just it'd be it'd be easy to get married, perhaps very similar to how it is in other countries, and equally so with regards to wills. Uh, to register a will is going to be not much a, a similar, uh, dissimilar from how it would be in in other countries. I'm reading Ludmilla in the absence of a will, and I don't know if this. I mean, I guess at the moment this could kind of slip through the net as it were, the law provides for an equal distribution of the estate, and that's regardless of gender. Exactly, yes. And uh, so that would be the anything to do in this. It's interesting because ultimately if you want to talk about sequence or chronology, you want to talk about first... Uh, uh, marriage, then you want to talk about potentially a you know, divorce uh, or, or, or then, and, and or custody. And then last, you want to talk about inheritance or probate, which is what, you, you know, you just mentioned, Tim. But, um, and that's how I wanted to discuss this. But as you rightfully said, as, as the way the law is, is drafted is that as part of your marriage, you are basically at least encouraged to be thinking about uh, how, what will happen and how you want your estate to be distributed uh, when you uh, when you die. So you kind of start out with the last stage, at least start thinking about it. Uh, so for whatever that means. But it's, it, it's interesting. But I'll tell you, another thing is that along the same lines, uh, what this uh, civil marriage and the marriage process allow you to do is to register, among other things, is a um, prenuptial agreement. So, and that's important. And this this prenuptial agreement, you can, it's a sort of an open, uh, it's, it's a clean plate, a slate or clean clean page, and you can um, you can indicate whatever terms and conditions you may want to indicate at this point in time. So, and that could include inheritance right away. And it could also include custody and guardianship, or I guess custody of your children and any kind of financial distribution and perhaps segregation of certain financial assets uh, from... Uh, the spouse's uh, wealth or uh, or estate um, at that time. So this is important. And important is that as part of your civil marriage, as per this new UAE personal status law for non-Muslims, you can right away register your prenuptial agreement. Now, there's no indication that there'll be some, and I don't think that this is even possible, that there will be some kind of a template of a prenuptial agreement. But maybe maybe with, with time, there'll be some kind of... 
bullet point uh, form that at least house parties uh, think through some of the aspects of what they may want to include in the prenuptial agreement. So from the, based on how the law is drafted right now, I would say it's it's a clean slate. You can basically write up whatever you want and you can register that prenup agreement right away. Uh, when you get married. To be honest with you, I think it's actually a really interesting and a very helpful provision because uh, maybe I'm exaggerating to an extent, but uh, to an extent it's true that the UAE and, and our residents that live here uh, of a very interesting kind of uh, kind, and so many residents who live here might have uh, already had previous families or families from before. Mm-hmm. They have children. They might have inherited money. Uh, they've got uh, investments all over the world, and you know they might have had previous spouses and the parents, and and so they've moved to Dubai as other other. Uh, as, as part of investment or retirement or looking for a new life or starting a new chapter. And so therefore, in terms of having uh, having the option of uh, of this uh, prenuptial agreement early on, if they meet a new partner and they want to kind of start a new chapter, you could see this is this is highly valuable. And we've seen a lot of clients ourselves that have had exactly these very questions. Okay, we want, I found a new love. I want to get, I want to marry, but, you know, I've got children from a previous, uh, from a previous spouse, and I want to make sure that these children, that basically this state is clearly segregated from. And we've had a lot of very contentious cases that uh, that result exactly from these kinds of complex family circumstances. Well, now, as far as this law is concerned, it seems that it provides some kind of a formula uh, that can create certainty and a sense of confidence uh, for those who are marrying here um, that they can legally marry here and at the same time legally segregate certain aspects of their life, previous life, uh, to kind of keep it separate from the new spouse. So, okay, so that was marriages. And um, for the time being, it seems that uh, anyone, because any basically UAE resident can um, can opt for this marriage before the courts. Uh, if um, if you recall, Tim, as far as Abu Dhabi is concerned, one of their the expansion of their original law was that they opened up the ability to get married even for non-residents. Mm. Now, I don't necessarily see that language in this um, in this personal status law for non-Muslims, the federal personal status law, but uh, that's something that perhaps the executive regulations will shed some more light on. But in the meantime, as far as Abu Dhabi is concerned, even non-residents can get married as far as the federal law is concerned. Let's say in Dubai or Ras al uh, it seems to be more limited for the residents, at least for the time being. Well, that would be a really interesting development, wouldn't it? When you consider Dubai's position as a, a, a destination, it's an attractive destination, it's picturesque, it would surely be attractive to people all over the world to come and think, you know, I got married on the, the beach in Jumeirah in Dubai or, or whatever. I mean, that's it, it's a natural, perhaps, next step. Absolutely. Just like Seychelles has become, right, sure. and yeah. and uh, Sri Lanka. I mean, these are sort of, um, these are the kind of things that we are, uh, we have grown accustomed to see in the, uh, in for a lot of residents in Dubai is that if they want to get married because we didn't have a civil marriage option here before, uh, then they would just get on a plane and have an exotic uh, wedding in Sri Lanka or um, Seychelles. And these are countries, some examples of certain countries that did not require for marriage to take place for, for the parties to be residents um, of the country. Well, imagine your, your wedding photos under the Burj Khalifa. Oh, yeah, there's, there's, you know... <laughs> 
You know, that actually brings a very interesting question um, because, uh, yeah, I mean, that would be incredibly romantic and picturesque to have your wedding pictures in front of Burj Khalifa, but that perhaps is a topic for another podcast, whether whether that kind of display of um, celebration in sort of these kinds of sites would actually be uh, allowed by law. But I, I could see how... The law could accept this kind of next development, mm. uh, and we might see more um, wedding dresses in different picturesque uh, locations around um, Dubai and the UAE in general, in front of Burj Khalifa, Burj Al Arab, yeah, the Museum of the Future, and so on and so forth. So, yeah. uh, it's certainly, space to watch and a podcast to be on the lookout for. <laughs> <laughs> You're always thinking about content. Um, <laughs> There's so, so much of it, it's uh, hard not to... <laughs> there really is. I mean, the, the thing is, this this new law is a huge deal. It really is. And, and I think it's, without wanting to use that word again, it really is a groundbreaking development. And we see so many of those. Um, let's go from marriages to, very quickly, to look at divorce under this new uh, regulation. Yeah, so the most Im- important aspect of the divorce is it is unilateral divorce. So there's a provision for unilateral divorce divorce, yeah. which basically means uh, any party can request a divorce without having to prove any fault of another party or the blame of another party. And um, and the unilateral divorce can be filed based on the form just created for that purpose, specific purpose, a unilateral divorce uh, or uh, uh, an amicable divorce. So, but it basically there is, and in fact, in Abu Dhabi, there's already a form that clearly states, and this is, you know, this is not just a service. This is a form, a template, mm-hmm. uh, which is called no fault divorce application form. So this is, and we've talked about it in the previous podcast, but it's pretty groundbreaking that because for a lot of um, a lot of couples, a lot of families here, uh, non-Muslim, they only it's it's yeah. How many times in my own practice here, I've I've had to try to talk people off the off the edge because they were so gun ho to start going with their guns blazing trying to find blame or fault against one spouse or another and it was all kind of with this idea of oh in order for me to qualify to be divorced or yeah i need to show fault i need to show blame well that's not so under this law it can you don't need to show any uh, any blame or fault and um, and and both parties have equal right uh, for divorce and it doesn't matter who files uh, the distribution of financial assets and the custody and, and guardianship will be all dealt with the same way as irrespective of the form of who files and I guess there's only one form of divorce I guess you know like it could be two there's a contentious divorce and there could be an amicable divorce but ultimately it would all be uh, it's, it's it does not matter uh, the gender of the party that's initiating the divorce the distribution will be the same so I think that's great uh, now as you rightfully said I think you mentioned earlier it's interesting because because um, uh, with regards to all the, the law kind of prefaces, the, the rest of the, the framework from this is men and women are kind of equal in all rights and obligations with respect to this law. In terms of alimony during the divorce, it seems that, the, that at least the current language of the law states that a divorced woman, after the divorce judgment is issued, can apply to the court to request alimony for her ex-husband. So the emphasis here is on the woman. Mm. So it's at least as far as the text is concerned, the text of the law, it seems to only 
uh, allow for the possibility for the woman to claim alimony. Remember, it's alimony. It's not distribution of assets. It's alimony, which is the future and the ongoing financial support and payment from the ex-spouse. So here, there seems to be more suggestion that it only uh, the woman can apply for an alimony and not the other way around. So, for example, in relationships, and we've represented these uh, these uh, uh, sort of clients uh, in our practice where the the man was kind of the, the stay-at-home dad and the woman was working in in other jurisdictions that man would have the same right to claim alimony and support from his um, ex-wife as 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 if it were things were reversed and there was the wife uh, that uh, was not working but in the UAE that particular for cultural perhaps historical uh, reasons that 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 kind of request for alimony was not really sort of considered the same way. But, and it seems that perhaps that cultural or historical um, uh, principle is kind of permeated into this new law as well. But um, we have seen these, as I said before, this is kind of a substantive law and it will be further clarified and uh, in future regulations. And we have seen these kinds of main laws being kind of amended and clarified further shortly after they're issued uh, over and over again, as is the case with Abu Dhabi, personal status for non-Muslims law, which we've talked about so many times, um, same thing. So it may, it may change and we will absolutely, as you said, we will follow up on that. But for the time being, although the law provides a full equality, it seems that uh, expressly only the woman can ask for alimony, not the man. In terms of the calculation of alimony, the alimony is calculated on based on a number of factors. Again, this as per the law, these include but not limited to um, years of marriage uh, and then wife's age, uh, financial position of the spouse, contribution of spouse to the co- uh, to the cost of divorce, uh, the father's payment of joint uh, children's custody, wife's care towards children or lack thereof. And um, and in all cases, the wife is no longer entitled to alimony in case she gets remarried. Mm. So this is quite interesting as well. It seems to be a little bit of a spillover from the UE personal status law and particular Sharia. And that's where the sort of the marriage uh, kind of stops um, um, alimony payments from the husband. Uh, but um, I guess this is, uh, you know, remember the alimony only refers to the alimony refers to the payment to the wife and not support for the children. Um, so I guess in in a way, it logically, perhaps that's justified from too many, uh, because if uh, the wife gets remarried, then now she's got a new husband that can potentially support her. Um, although I think some might disagree with that, because there are a lot of stories where wives uh, kind of give up their profession, give up their career uh, to support the husband. The husband does very well financially and and earns a lot of a lot of uh, income, and then. Um, the wife kind of has given up her career in, in on the expectation of, of having the sort of lifestyle that would be funded by the husband. And then when that they divorce, basically, that whole sort of world comes, uh, falls apart. And so mm-hmm. maybe in those cases, the, this would be kind of an unfair the having or the right to remarry. Curbing the future entitlement to alimony may seem to be unfair. But it, that's kind of where the law is right now. Uh, so... Um, and for the time being, we have seen, as I mentioned earlier, uh, we've seen one divorce being filed with uh, the Dubai courts. So, and this under this non-Muslim personal status law, and the particular in this particular divorce, uh, the couples or the parties uh, have specifically requested application of this law. 
And uh, but the hearing was scheduled for March 8th. So uh, we'll monitor that case. And certainly as um, this case develops and other cases develop, we will do follow ups to to explain exactly in practical terms how the courts um, are applying this law. Because remember, what we're talking about in, in today's podcast is truly basically just based on the text of the law, yes. not its practical applications, but just the text. Well, let's move on to the next piece of text of that law and quickly run through, well, as quickly as we can, run through joint custody, which is catered for in some detail. Yes. So um, then that this is uh, perhaps for a lot of parents, particular mothers, would be a huge relief because the default here, this is where the equality, perhaps the, the principle of equality between men and women for the purposes of this law for non-Muslims uh, is highlighted the most. And that is that uh, the parents have uh, equal rights uh, to their children. Uh, so, and, and that's the, it's by default. So, but the default is that the parents have a default, equal, and joint rights to custody. Uh, and um, uh, this right is also granted to children uh, so that they are not deprived of a parent to care for them. So the parent, they basically the children can also sort of expect the same equality uh, from their parents. So this is, to be honest with you, I, to me it's huge just because having um, witnessed and managed and, and assisted so many couples and families through their divorces uh, in my practice it's it's always the children that perhaps uh, are the most kind of painful subject and the most challenging issue to work out between the the, the, the spouses because they often use children as a tool as a weapon against each other as leverage and in many cases they it's, it's they've been more effective or able to do so more effectively because uh, they played this well if I'm a father I have you know, more important rights for the children than you as a mother, or I'm a mother, I can have physical possession of the children while they're young. So there's a lot of count, count, kind of play there, and that's, that's often perhaps abused, <laughs> and the children's interests get uh, sort of lost in, in the process. So I really enjoy seeing this now in print, which is, is both parents um, off the bat have this default equal right, um, so there isn't any kind of uh, fighting. However... Uh, and there is a provision that if parties want to vary uh, the default right, equal right, to the custody of the children, um, they need to do so by a specific application to deprive the other parent of the custody. Uh, or if a party wants to waive their right to join custody. And this is very important as well, I have to tell you, because there's so many couples or families that live here, for example, where, I mean, not, not to prejudice anybody, you know, profile, but I'll just use a few examples where, for example, the father uh, leaves the country and leaves the mother here with the children, and he's just not available anymore, and uh, and he's not supporting the children, uh, or even if he lives here, but not supporting the children at all. Uh, and so um, so this ultimately, so there is a way for the mother in this in this case, let's in this, this example, to file to, for, to vary the joint custody and, and present to the court that, well, so dear judge, the, the father should not have joint custody because the father has not paid for the children, for example, has not visited the children, so on and so forth. So now there's a legal tool for, um, uh, for the 
the parents to apply to request a waiver. And equally so, yeah, there's a way for parties to voluntarily waive this right as well, which is also very important because uh, some parents just don't want to, don't want to be involved. You know, maybe they've either moved on to another family or they just realized they're not meant to be a parent and they were an <laughs> accidental parent. Uh, I mean, loads of reasons. And why this is also important is because in a lot of countries and also the UAE for a while had this practice is that for one mother, for single mother to travel with her children, for example, they always had to show that have an OC from the father, for example. And so with something like this, if you can have a legal document from, from the UAE that shows, let's say the father waived his custody or the mother white mother through the court uh, varied the equal custody. So there's now a legal document that the parents can have to rely on uh, for the future in terms of just kind of making it easier for them to live and travel. This, by the way, applies to both. It's it, the, the case could be reversed. It could be the father that uh, could be more supportive and more involved in children's lives and the, the wife is or the mother is more distant. So so you can vary it both ways. So it's, it's not like you can only vary custody uh, in favor of the mother and not the father. It's it's an equal um, it's an equal right. And also the, the law provides that in the case of father and mother disagree on any custody matters, either one of them have the right to apply to the court to resolve their dispute. So again, the court seems to be, uh, to be, to be not just available, but also have specific legal tools for parties to rely on to help them with various disagreement that would stem from um, their perhaps failing marriage. There's one more thing that I've I really would like to get to, and that is lineage or lineage, if you prefer that pronunciation. But that this is very specifically accounted for in the law, as is a clause for fostering and adoption as well, which I, I think I'm right in saying is a new uh, inclusion. Uh, yes. So anything to do on lineage, and that is sort of separate from a section and that talks about the proving of the lineage, then the DNA test, yeah. which specifically provided for in the law, which is uh, very helpful, although in practical terms, perhaps a little less important now in terms uh, since uh, the uh, amendments to the criminal law and to the uh, to the UAE federal law on issuance of birth certificates, where in the past you, this proving of lineage was essential in order to, let's say, uh, apply for and receive a birth certificate for a baby without a known father, for example, right? Yes. So this proving of lineage was a big deal and it was kind of complex and, and, um, and lengthy. Uh, so some of these provisions uh, uh, relate to that, but there would be less, uh, the application would be less relevant now because... Uh, because now birth, it's a specific, uh, the law specifically provides and, and a lot of the courts have already even, like Abu Dhabi in particular, have specific forms already that provide for a single family the right for single parents to apply for birth certificate without having to prove the lineage purely on the basis of a confirmation declaration that the, let's say the father is unknown. Um, so, um, that being said, it now specifically stated in this law and makes it easier in the event because the thing is, you could what you can have is you could have a disputed parentage. You could have uh, a mother that claims um, that you know, a certain parent or father is the father of the child, a certain man is the father of the child, and it could be a dispute about that. So now the law specifically provides that for this DNA test, that the court can request a DNA test. In case someone is claiming a child only after confirming that um, the child is a, either of known unknown lineage or the child's age could make them a child of that person. So you could see how in the past these questions probably would not have even arisen here because of the uh, the previous the criminal implications or liabilities that would have resulted. Uh, now it's specifically stated for in the law. 
And as you said, a really important addition uh, or language in, in this in this version of the law, though much still remains to be um, to be seen in terms of how it's implemented, is a specific language that the cabinet will release a decision regulating the procedures for adopting children mm-hmm. and fostering them. Now, the concept of fostering in the UAE is a lot more um, common and a lot more uh, uh, and it's a, lot, a lot more talked about, and perhaps even more certain in terms of how fostering happens, because fostering is quite um, often happens amongst uh, even Muslims. But the process of adoption, the legal adoption, has specifically basically been, um, in, in fact, it's, it's under Islam, Sharia, it's forbidden. Adoption is forbidden. And we've covered this in the, our, I think, earlier podcast, that adoption is still not allowed. And so the only way for non-Muslims um, to have adoption in the past, they would have had to go to a different country and, and, and adopt legal children there and only then bring them here. Now, at least, this particular law provides for the possibility, well, actually provides that the cabinet will issue a, a resolution and guidelines as to how non-Muslims can legally adopt. I think that is instrumental and fundamental, if not revolutionary. Uh, but um, I, I don't want to really say much more, and I cannot really say much more because all that this law mentions is that there will be further regulations regarding this, but certainly the language and the word of adoption uh, is mentioned. So I think that's um, that's quite significant and something exciting to keep looking, to look forward to. And then there's one more, I guess the final one is inheritance and wills. Yes, so we're trying to do a kind of a quick, um, uh, a quick sort of diagram of what the law states in terms of what happens if in the married, you know, a testator dies here, a non-Muslim again. Uh, and uh, so first of all, so there's two things about inheritance. So uh, there's two things that can happen. One is if the testator left a will. Uh, and then two, if there is without a will. So with regards to the will, and we've talked about this on previous podcasts, there's the DIFC courts and Will Center has has had an option of for non-Muslims to register their wills, and that's been a very popular forum to register wills, and it's been a tested also um, forum through which many wills have already been probated and confirmed, and um, that's the one kind of choice of um, uh, of wills uh, center that that we also as a practice we also uh, recommend our clients to use. Now, as per this um, new personal status law for non-Muslims, now there is a definitely a provision of basically you could register wills as as per your own uh, distributions and your own ideas uh, outside of the DIFC as well. So now the the enforcement of that will is also confirmed at the federal level. Uh, however, there is still mention that that will has to be registered, just as it is registered now with the DFC courts. It also have to be registered with some other authority, wills authority, that's outside of the DFC. Um, so I would expect either the, the Dubai courts or the notary or some other uh, specialized will service might appear and will also open its doors for registering of wills for non-Muslims. That's in addition to the DIFC. So this law does provide for basic parties the right to. To, to do a will however they want to do and register it and it will and it will be enforced in the absence of a will then then also the law provides for distribution uh, that is quite different from how currently someone's estate would be distributed 
if they were to pass without um, uh, without a will and they are non-Muslim. So it would basically be uh, distributed as per Sharia, the, uh, based on the Sharia principles. Uh, so, for example, a spouse would get very little uh, and um, and only after a fairly complex uh, sort of distribution and uh, adjudication of interests before the spouse could actually get something. Now, as per this new personal status law for non-Muslims, uh, and um, so remember, this is without a will. So if the, the testator does not have a will. So if the, test, the testator dies and he basically testator is married, then then 50% of their estate automatically by default goes to their spouse. Right. 50%. It doesn't matter whether a man dies or a woman dies. So 50% goes to either husband or wife, which is huge. And so that's without any kind of proving of anything. It's just that's by default. And then the next question is if, if they have, the couple has children. If the couple has children, then, or, or if the testator had children, rather not so much the couple, but the testator had children. Uh, so 50, if the, uh, the testator had children or the deceased, then after the 50% of the distribution of, of, um, of the assets or the estate uh, going to the spouse, the other 50 would go to the children. And if the children, in equal shares, by the way. So if you had boys or girls, doesn't matter. They go to in equal shares. And then if they have no children, then they would go to, it would go to the parents. And if they're both parents survive, then it goes between 50-50 between the parents. If it's uh, only one parent survives, then 50% goes, uh, I guess, of that 50%. In other words, 25% goes to one parent and the other 25% will go to the siblings in equal shares. Now, if the testator or the deceased is, is not married... Uh, then, uh, then the distribution would be between the children and the parents. Um, so 50% to the children and then 50% uh, to uh, either the parents, uh, if they're both, if they're both surviving, uh, or 25% will go to one parent and the other 25% to the siblings. Um, so, but in any event, 50% will go to the children, it seems. Uh, so that's, that's what we've been able to uh, extrapolate from the current text of the law. It may be that with uh, future re- executive resolutions, uh, more color will be given to exactly how, um, uh, how this will take shape in practice. Uh, but for the time being, that's, uh, I think this is it's quite a bit of detail that we already shared. Uh, the law is just to, to sum it up or to conclude it's uh, fundamentally uh, forthcoming and, and, um, and progressive law for this country mm-hmm. uh, that makes very specific, I, I would say, sort of learns in, on a lot of the experiences that we've experienced so far and a, lo- a lot of the lessons and embodies and incorporates these lessons uh, in, by virtue of issuing uh, brand new legislation uh, specifically to tailor and address um, a different aspect or different segment of the population, which is quite significant here. So I think truly revolutionary. I think that's the longest episode of Logical we've done, actually. In a long time, I think. In a very long time. If you've got this far, thank you very much for listening. Um, This time, the new family law for non-Muslims in the UAE is Federal Decree Law Number 41 of 2022 regarding civil personal status, to be exact. Legal expert, real expert, as ever, Ludmilla Maliva, managing partner here at Yamalava and Pleska. Thank you. Thank you, Tim, as always. Find us at NY Law, social media, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, LinkedIn, wherever you get your social updates, you'll find us there. There's a huge, ever-growing library, hundreds of podcasts, 
all kinds of legal matters uh, answered and questioned as well. All for free if you'd like to listen. To get a legal question answered in a future episode of Logical, to talk to a qualified UE experienced legal professional, click contact at lylawyers.com.